Have you ever declined the invitation to go some to go somewhere or to go to something? And then because you declined the invitation, you immensely regretted it later? Yes. A few months ago, uh, actually a few months into my time here at Loma Linda Korean Church, I was approached by Jane Kim, one of our young adults, and she invited me to join her and some other young adults and the pastors on staff for a food tour of L.A., She said this was their yearly tradition and as one of the new pastors that I needed to join. I, of course, agreed very happily, and she started listing off the places we would go and visit all in one day. It was a very ambitious, beautiful, delicious, gluttonous list. And um, I was so happy and looking forward to this outing that I was extremely devastated when I realized a few weeks later that that date coincided with the start of one of my summer ministry commitments. And there was no way that I could take part in this food tour and had to sorrowfully decline the invitation. That was very sad. I told myself I was fine. I told myself, it's okay, I can go eat those things by myself later. But that Sunday, June 30th, 2019, with every additional photo that Pastor Richard sent to me, I found myself filled with regret upon regret. Join me this morning as we look at um, a story found in Mark chapter 10. This is what God's word says, and starting from verse 17. And I'm reading from the message translation. God's word says, as Jesus went out into the street, a man came running up, greeted him with great reverence and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, honor your father and mother. And this young man, he said, teacher, I have from my youth, kept them all. And Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him and said to him, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth and come follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and was not about to let go. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you now um, to enter into our hearts um, to help clear the way for your word. Um, Father, you know that I really want people to buy into our vision statement but I recognize that that's not my job and I don't have that ability. It's only by the power of your spirit. So help us to not get in the way of that. Um, This is your time to do whatever you want to do. Join us. May we experience you this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm really happy this morning because uh, I get to preach on our vision statement. Um, And I would not be as happy if I like thought our vision statement was like lame or if I was like 
Uh, I guess that's nice. But I love our vision statement. As most of you guys know, this month has been about um, our mission and our vision. Um, we've kind of revamped things. We've been re-inspired by things. And Pastor Richard has spent the last two weeks breaking down our mission statement. When I say, follow Jesus, you guys say, Okay, very good. Okay, so our mission statement is follow Jesus, love like Jesus. Mission statements are incredibly important. About a year ago, I sat down with a group of elders and pastors and last year's campus ministry president, Angie, for a dinner in Redlands where I was being interviewed for the possibility of coming to serve here at Loma Linda as the campus ministry pastor. And I remember on my way to dinner, a friend texted me, and they were like, hey, are you nervous? And I really was not. <laughs> I really was not nervous. Um, not because I didn't like Loma Linda, um, but because I didn't really feel like I needed to try to impress anyone or be someone or something that I was not. If anything, I felt like, well, yeah, they're interviewing me, but I'm also interviewing them to know if this church, um, the leadership here, the pastors here, if this could potentially be a church where God is calling me to serve. And so after this group of people had asked me a variety of questions, they asked me the question of, do you have any questions for us? And I had several, but the very first question I asked was, what is the mission statement of your church? And the reason that was my most important question is because an organization's mission statement helps you to understand what that organization's identity is. Who are we as Loma Linda Korean Church? What do we think God is calling us to do? Follow Jesus. Love like Jesus. Uh, we desire to be followers of Jesus. Followers, followers invest time they spend moments with the one they are following. They look at the one they are following and allow him to influence them. And our understanding is that as we do that, as we follow, he will teach us how to love the way he does. When I look at our mission statement, I feel like it's expressing two desires. The first is a desire to be with Jesus, and the second is a desire to, be, to become like Jesus. I was talking to some of our campus ministry students this past week, and um, we were having a conversation about this, this topic, this mission statement, and this idea of loving like Jesus. And what one student said to me was, you know, the more that I try to love like Jesus, the more I, like, I feel like it's really hard. And I felt like a little, I was like, oh man, really? Like, and I, I was kind of asking God, I was like, Dang, God, is that true? Is this person's experience accurate? I thought once we commit to it, isn't it, isn't it supposed to become easier rather than becoming harder? And as this person continued, what they clarified and what they said was, the more they tried to love like Jesus, the more they realized how impossible that is to do without the power of Jesus. Right? And that I agree with wholeheartedly. Our mission statement is a package deal. When we proclaim our church's mission to follow Jesus and love like Jesus, we're acknowledging that we cannot love like Jesus without following Jesus. And also, we cannot follow Jesus without the byproduct of loving like him. 
And this morning, like I said, I have the privilege to share with you all our vision statement. A vision statement describes the long-term desired change that an organization desires to get to. It's a way for us to say, hey, we know who we're supposed to be, followers of Jesus. Now, where do we want to go? What direction are we being led in? And like I said, I love our vision statement. Our vision statement was prayerfully brainstormed and prayerfully crafted by a group of leaders over the course of a few Sabbaths several months ago. And um, the vision statement of our church, the destination we're saying we want to move towards is this. Connecting people to a love that transforms us a community that collaborates and serves together, and to build the kingdom of heaven in Loma Linda and beyond. Okay. When we first unveiled this at a board meeting a few months ago, our current campus ministry president, Kylo, he leaned over to me and he's like, PJ, whose vision statement is this? And I was like, our churches. And he goes, our churches? And I was like, yeah. And then he goes, this is exactly the kind of church that I was looking for. I know. Okay, and um, honestly, me too. Okay, this is the kind of church that I was looking for. And honestly, you too, no? Right? Um, What a beautiful picture of what we believe God is asking us to be. What God is asking us to be a part of, um, to join with him in creating. And as you can see, there are three main parts to our vision. The first is connecting people to a love that transforms us. Love with a capital L, Jesus. The um, the New Testament shows us that the call to follow Jesus is a call to community. We are not meant to follow Jesus alone. And so we desire to be a church that helps to connect people to that love to connect people to Jesus through our worship services, our prayer meetings, our outreach, our small groups, our potluck, our communities, so that we can experience the kind of transformation that he promises. We also feel called to connect people to a community, and not just an inactive community that somehow we, you know, we passively connect to because, you know, we all meet in the same church building weekly, but connecting to a community where those people, they are connecting with that transformational love. And then together, we're collaborating. We're working together. We're studying scripture together. We're mentoring. We're discussing. We're encouraging. We're lifting others up. We're praising together, and we're serving. We're reaching out. We're spreading that love that we're receiving, and we're learning how to model. We're not meant to do it alone. And it's, you know, it's kind of hard to have a favorite part of a statement when all of it strikes such a chord in me, but this last bit might be my most favorite part if I have to choose. The third part is to build the kingdom of heaven in Loma Linda and beyond. For us to be active contractors and architects and construction workers of God's kingdom here in Loma Linda and beyond to the various places that you will go to once you leave this place. Um, Last night at Vespers, Jeff and Michelle shared about their call to go to Haiti to serve. Um, Building the kingdom in Loma Linda and beyond. When I was serving in Arizona, 
uh, so many of my core leadership, they were people who had been raised up in this church, building the kingdom in Loma Linda and beyond. And we're, we're saying that as we engage in this, that we're going to help establish God's peace in a time where the norm is stress. We're saying that we will make space for his healing when there is so much hurt and brokenness around us. That we will usher in trust and security in him when so many around us, maybe ourselves included, are filled with fear and anxiety. We want to be a part of that. And we believe that our church is meant to be a part of that as well. Um... Sociologist James Davison Hunter, he wrote this book called The Death of Character. And he writes about this shift that happened in America over the last half century, um, a shift that happened where instead of focusing on character, we became a society and a culture that focuses more on personality. Um, That's part of the reason why there have been so many different theories of on personality and why personality tests and, you know, like why people like demand to know like what's your Myers-Briggs or what number are you on the Enneagram. And he writes that while America has become more diverse, both ethnically and ethically, it's become harder and harder to agree upon a vision of the kind of person that we want to grow and mature into. We want our society, we're, we're not sure Who do we want our society to grow and mature into? Other than things like tolerance, which isn't actually a virtue, it's more a way to get along in a very diverse culture. But the funny thing is, no matter how secular and diverse our world and our culture gets, and even though so much of what is taught and valued now is to pursue your own pleasures and your own happiness over all else, even so, if you go to a funeral, What kinds of things are shared about the deceased? As a pastor, I go to so many funerals. Right, Pastor Richard? Um, There are so many funerals that we attend. And in these many, many funerals, I have heard many, many eulogies. But you know what I never, ever hear? I don't hear, this person, they were so good at spending money. Right? No one could shop like they did. You never hear, like, his six-pack, those abs, no one could compare to those abs, right? We don't say things like that at a funeral. In fact, if someone started saying things like that, we would think something's wrong here, right? What's going on right now? What's up with this eulogy? But what do we praise? We praise character, for as diverse and secular as this world has become, there is something in us where when we are on our deathbed, we believe that if we did not become a good person, we did not live a good life. Now, of course, this isn't a new idea. It goes back at least as far as the Greeks and the ancient Mediterraneans. But what Greek philosophy or even the ancient Torah never could figure out was how to become a good person as defined by love. Most human beings, at some level, desire goodness, right? Like most people, they're not like, I really want to be a bad person, right? Like, like when you ask like a little kid, like, oh, what do you want to grow up to be? They're like, evil. Like no one, that's, like, that's not a thing, right? Uh, most people desire goodness. It's innate inside of us. We want to become people of love. The problem is we don't know how. 
And this is where Jesus literally changed the course of human history. No other human before him or after him has ever done more to transform souls and societies into love. This is not just like a Christian perspective. Like even secular historians, most of them would agree with this. The experience that Jesus offers to us is come, be with me, come, follow me, and let me help transform you into someone who loves the way that I do. Has anyone watched this show before? Oh my goodness, only... Two people. Okay, uh, this is called the West Wing. Okay, um, I was talking to some campus ministry students about this show this past week, and they had no idea. They, they're like, I don't know what that is. And then I was like, you know, Aaron Sorkin. They're like, I don't know who that is. Um, I love this show. Okay, I love this show. And um, if you don't know what it's about, uh, it's set primarily in the West Wing of the White House. Okay, um, and it's. It's, um, it's the story about the fictional administration of President Josiah Bartlett, okay? President Josiah Bartlett is my favorite American president. Um, like, fictional and real. I, like, there are times where sometimes when I'm watching reruns, I'm like, I get a little, like, choked up. I'm like, I wish he was our president. He's, like, so wise. Like, he's, like, he loves God. Okay, um, And there is a line that is repeated throughout this series, and that always strikes me. It always, like, like, ah. It's a line that's said by various members of the White House staff, from the aides to the generals, from those on the bottom of the White House totem pole to the top. And the line is this. They say, I serve at the pleasure of the president. Okay? I serve at the pleasure of the president. When they sometimes do things that, are not the easiest for them personally, and maybe they don't really want to do it, or even when they have the great joy of doing something that no one else in the world will ever get to do, they say, I serve at the pleasure of the president. Can you imagine if this was a statement that we lived by? I serve at the pleasure of the father. It's basically another way of saying, God, not my will, but yours. And not because we're just his staff and we have to do whatever he says and because he's the most powerful ruler. And if you don't, you'll be fired and thrown out of the White House or like the white heaven mansion. But because we understand that God's intention to us, God's intentions for us are the intentions of a good, good father. And as we live for his pleasure, we also discover our own pleasure. That there's nowhere more joyful to be than to be living according to his will for us. In John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus says, I always do what pleases the Father. He's saying, I serve at the pleasure of the Father. And we're reminded that this vision that we have, no matter how awesome it is, it is impossible to accomplish without first following Jesus and becoming like him. It's impossible to accomplish without cultivating obedience. What if you began each morning asking, Father, what would be pleasing to you? Right? What, would, what would bring you pleasure? What do I have to do that would make you happy today? Um, so I started doing this recently. And when I do this throughout the day, like I, I will like, you know, 
don't be scared to try this because um, he's not going to send you like a list of like 20 or 30 things to like check off your to-do list. Usually it's just a few things that come to mind. They're usually very easy to do and they usually have something to do with loving other people. The thing is, if you are in this room today and you identify as Christian, I don't think anyone takes issue with our mission statement, right? I don't think anyone is in here like, yeah, I don't know, like uh, follow Jesus, like love like Jesus. I, I object, right? We don't disagree. We don't disagree. But how much do you agree? How much do you want to engage? Is this our baseline or is it simply the Christian cherry on top of our busy life Sunday? Is it just an option that's included when it's convenient? Because that's not way to experience anything, not for real. Um, you know, at our campus ministry retreat a few weeks ago, I, we talked about how um, scripture invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I was thinking about my first experience, my first several experiences with um, the Korean dish sundubu, like soft tofu soup. Um, growing up, I didn't do spicy well. Okay, like, let, let's be real. I still don't do spicy well. Uh, and there was a time when I went to college where, like, my friends were, like, obsessed with eating sundubu. Like, anytime we, like, left PUC or, like, came down to SoCal or went into um, Oakland or San Francisco, they'd be like, let's go eat sundubu. And I did not understand the appeal because I didn't like spicy stuff. So the way I would get it was I would get it white. <laughs> okay, that's an option. I don't know if you guys knew this, but you can order sundubu white where the broth is clear. Okay? And because I, because I couldn't do spicy, that's how I would always get it. And I did not understand the appeal because I was like, this is gross, <laughs> right? This is mushy tofu in water. That's warm. So people would be like, mmm, how's your sundubu? And I'd be like, mmm, gross, <laughs> right? And finally, like, my friends would always say, oh, yours is gross, try mine. And I'd be like, no, I don't eat spicy food. <laughs> so finally, one of my friends was like, you're dumb. Like, that's not what it's supposed to taste like. Just try mine. Just try one sip, and then, you know, like, we'll get you some water. And I was like, I'll just try one sip. And I tried it, and it was spicy, but I was like, oh, it's not supposed to taste like water. Okay? <laughs> And the thing is, how many of us, we're tasting water. You know what I mean? Like, we're like, yeah, I agree. Follow Jesus. Love like Jesus. But do we recognize the invitation that's being extended to us? The invitation is to be builders of his kingdom, not because he needs more builders, right? It's not because he wants to get as much work out of you as possible before he moves on to the next builder. Maybe that's how, like, human contractors work. That's not how God works. It's because he knows that when you take the extended opportunities to partner with him, when you get involved in the building of his kingdom, you, we, will experience joy. We will experience meaning. We will experience fulfillment. We will experience God's power. You'll experience the realness of his presence in your day-to-day -day life. 
not just like, yeah, I know about God, but like, dude, God is real in my life. Like, he like told me to do something and I did it. And like, that person was like, how did you know that I needed to hear that? How did you know that I was going through something? And it's like, I really did not. But I think God told me. And do you know what happens when you experience God's realness? Your trust in him grows. It's a universal truth that if you spend time with someone who is trustworthy, you will trust them more. And as you experience God's realness and his, his power in your life, your trust in him will grow. And you know what else will grow? Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. You know that people out there are willing to pay money for these things, right? Right? They pay money for these things in the forms of self-help books, life coaches, um, self-improvement seminars, or to tap into a more recent trend, crystals, okay? I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with this trend, Um, but I currently have many well-educated, smart, financially responsible friends who invest their money in a variety of crystals that promise to promote love, happiness, courage, right? They are rocks, right? Like, they, they are rocks, and then you, you're supposed to charge up your crystal in either the sunlight or the moonlight, okay? Because, like, after you, uh, after its energy, like, impacts you and influences you, then it's drained, so you have to charge it in the sun or the moon, okay? Okay, I know I'm like, it kind of sounds like I'm making fun of it. I'm not, I'm not making fun of people who do this, to be honest, because I get it. I understand that we desire these things and we're looking to get them no matter where, like wherever we can find them. It's like, oh, me carrying this rock around is going to help me to be more patient. I will buy this rock, right? Oh, if I have this rock and I hold it in my hand for however many minutes a day, that's going to open my heart up for more love to enter my life. I will buy this rock, We desire these things, but church, we have access to these things. I have a letter that I want to read to you. Um, It's a letter written to our church treasurer, and I was given permission to share this letter as long as I don't reveal the identities of the people involved. So um, this is the letter. I'll read it. Dear Mr. Kim, um, shout out to our treasurer, Dave Kim, for everything that he does. God bless you. Dear Mr. Kim, enclosed is a modest gift, okay, it was a check, that I wish to be applied to the English ministries of the Loma Linda Korean SDA Church for a project or projects under the auspices of an of, um, anonymous church member, okay? Fourteen months ago, my wife of 42 years passed away. Anonymous church member invited me to attend your church on several occasions. He has listened to me with compassion and has ministered to me with kindness and understanding. Anonymous church member and his anonymous wife have been most gracious to me. Okay, now ready yourselves for the best line yet. I have experienced Christ in worship and community at your church. Amen. This is the invitation that's extended to us. An invitation to start to be changed, to be more like love himself. To get together and love others as a community. And to bring and build the kingdom of heaven here in Loma Linda, 
one loving brick at a time. This morning I was thinking, what if this was just one of the many letters that we received on a regular basis? Dear Loma Linda Church, anonymous youth member sat with me at lunch and joked around with me when no one else would. They were kind to me. I have experienced Christ through your church. Anonymous campus ministry student prayed with me with such care when I was racked with fear and anxiety over my health. I have experienced Christ through your church. Anonymous young adult treated me with such compassion and warmth that I felt like I was seen for the first time in years. I have experienced Christ through your church. Anonymous family ministry member provided not just a skilled treatment, but took extra time out of their hectic day to ask me about what I've been going through, to encourage and uplift me during this dark time. And I have experienced Christ through your church. Imagine if, like, that was a regular thing for our church. But imagine if you were the main characters in those letters. This is what it means to build the kingdom of heaven. Our vision statement, it's not meant to be this lofty pipe dream, like, oh, maybe one day when Jesus returns, we'll achieve this. No, I believe with conviction that if this is where God has called us to go, then he will lead us there as long as we are willing to follow him. And I genuinely believe that the move towards our vision, it's already been, it's already been set in motion. I recognize it in some palpable changes that I've witnessed here, even in the last 10 months since I've come. By no means are we at our destination, but we're definitely on our path that leads there. There has been an increase in community. When I first came in February, we had two campus ministry small groups that regularly met. This fall, by the grace of God, we launched nine campus ministry small groups. I remember conversations that I would have with some of our youth members who would longingly talk about other churches' youth groups. They would talk about, man, those other churches, their youth groups, they seem so close. Our church youth group, we don't, I don't know, PJ. There has definitely been a shift in our youth ministry. They meet weekly for small groups. They're more excited for their activities. And dare I say, they like each other more. There are changes that are happening in our church. The Holy Spirit is moving. And this afternoon, this afternoon, some of our campus ministry and our youth, we're going to go out into the neighborhoods that surround our church. We're going to go meet our neighbors. We're going to let them know we're here. And we're going to see if we can address some of their needs. We want to share warmth. We want to share love. We want to share prayers. Um, we want to share practical things like, hey, what are your needs? Let us take this information back so we can we can find a solution. And the reason we want to do this regularly and the reason we invite you to join us is it's actually not because we need you, okay? We invite you to join us because it is an opportunity for you to experience God, for you to partner with him, to lay some bricks for the kingdom, for you to experience the realness of his power in your life. Not in an abstract, vague way, but in a, hey, dad, um, which door should I knock on? Uh, uh, dad, uh, I don't know what to say right now. Uh, uh, awkward silence. Tell me what to say. Give me something to say. Wait, should I offer to pray for, I don't know if they're going to like that. Should I? 
you, I, I should, okay, okay, I'm just going to do it. Like, and as you practice hearing God, and as you practice obedience, you will experience his realness. So come join us today, 2.30 in the youth room. Okay. Um, I asked you at the beginning of the sermon if you had ever declined an invitation that you later regretted. And then we heard the story about this young dude, the rich young ruler, who was extended an invitation to sell everything and follow after Jesus. Sometimes the invitations we receive, they, they disappear. Um, the event has ended. Your opportunity has been lost. But sometimes the invitation is open-ended and there's no expiration date. I think when I was younger and dumber and I heard the story, I thought, dude, what's wrong with this guy, right? The rich, the rich young ruler, like, how are you going to say no to Jesus, right? Dude. And it's easy to miss this in this story, what kind of person this man was. But this young man, he was a good, moral, Torah-keeping, God-loving Hebrew man who recognized that he was still missing something. And so he comes to Jesus asking a genuine question of, what else should I be doing? Is there more to life? And what's super interesting is that in early church traditions, okay, like this is not in the Bible, like I don't, I'm, I don't know if this is true or not, but early church traditions actually identify the rich young ruler as John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, that he later came back after this story to, to, to come to Jesus, to follow him. Some believe that there's evidence for this found in an extra line that's found in the story of the Gospel of Mark that's not in the telling in the Gospels of Luke or Matthew. And what Mark includes that the others do not is a little line before Jesus answers the rich young ruler. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. I used to think that this story was a story about sacrifice. I thought it was kind of scary, right? Give up everything you have and follow Jesus. Sacrifice the things you love the most if you want to follow Jesus. Yes, sometimes God calls us to sacrifice. But when I read this story now, what I feel like God is revealing to me is that this story is about identity. When this guy approached Jesus, he was a rich young ruler. That's who he was. And Jesus offered him a new identity. Hey, I'm looking at you right now, and I love you. Come, be one of my followers. Let me replace the identity you've built for yourself with the one that I've been crafting for you since before you were born. Ronald Rollheiser, in his book, Sacred Fire, he says this about the story. That this is the invitation of Jesus to the mature. That this is the invitation from goodness to greatness. This is what he writes. He says, Would that we could unlearn what we know and look at this story with fresh eyes, because perhaps no one in the Gospels more clearly represents the habitual struggle of the mature, committed man or woman than does this young man. Jesus' invitation to him is Jesus' invitation to every good man or woman to move from goodness to greatness. It's significant to note that after turning down Jesus' invitation, the rich young man, he went away sad. Not bad, just sad. He came to Jesus as a rich, sad young man, and he left as a rich, 
sad young man. He didn't lose anything except an opportunity. Church, let's not miss the opportunity that is everyday life with Jesus. Not an invitation to simply observe, but to respond. Not to just come and sit in this room on Saturday mornings. That's not what the invitation is. But to open your hearts to the Holy Spirit. Let's not miss the invitation to transformation or to receive and to give vibrant community. And let's not miss the chances we have peppered throughout our days to build the kingdom here in Loma Linda and wherever else we're sent. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you are the ultimate architect of your kingdom. And it's crazy that you're letting us, like, we're not good at building. We mess things up all the time. We break things. We don't know how to lay bricks of love. But you're saying that you're going to teach us. You're saying that you're going to transform us. You're saying that if we accept this call and this invitation, that we get to build the kingdom with you. So God, may your Holy Spirit, may it work in our hearts, not just today, but every day, that we may seek to desire this question of, what pleases you that we may say when we the things that we do day by day i serve at the pleasure of the father this is our prayer in jesus name amen